Welcome back to Basic Brain Heart, the show where we celebrate and interrogate creatives of all stripes. I'm Hannah Camacho, and I'm keeping it real today. You can probably hear my kids playing and having some fun in the background. We've had a fantastic summer week, and I am so thrilled to share with you today's episode. So today's interview is with Scott Beck and Brian Woods. They are a writing and directing duo. They're the geniuses behind one of my recent favorite movies, Quiet Place. And if you haven't seen it, I encourage you to check it out. It is incredible. It's available on demand now. Um, We purchased it the day it came out on iTunes and we watched it in the theater a number of times. It's just a masterpiece and it's so organic and I usually cannot stand horror. I'm a total scaredy cat, but the film sucked me in and has really, really resonated with me and my kids. I, I even took my kids to see it. Call me crazy. Um, but these lovely gentlemen, Scott and Brian, uh, were gracious enough to grant a conversation with me and I had so many questions for them because their origin story is so fascinating. The two of them, and I'm not going to spoil too much for you here, but they met when they were young, they've been creating together, they've come up together, and I think one of the things that resonated with me most about this conversation is um, building a community and finding a community of creatives around you that are at your own level that will grow with you and encourage you and you can encourage them through the journey and uh, that's really kind of stuck with me. I've been mulling over that. How can I better build a community of creatives and build things that that are meaningful to all of us and tell those stories that I'm so passionate about. Um, So anyways, I'm going to get out of the way because I know you're not here to hear me talk. Be sure to follow Scott and Brian on social media. You can find the links to their Instagram and Twitter in the show notes. All right, I'm going to get out of the way now so you can enjoy this conversation with Scott Beck and Brian Woods. Well, Scott and Brian, I have to tell you, I'm so excited to have you on the show today. I have so much respect for how you approach the creative process. I love your origin story. I, I just love all of it, and I can't wait to dive in. So I just wanted to say thank you so much for taking the time to, to chat with me today. Oh, uh, Thank you so much. Ha- happy to be here and, and happy to chat with you today. Well, I know you both are really busy these days, so before we dive into kind of your history, which I find really fascinating. Um, do you mind uh, kind of filling the audience in a little bit on what you're up to these days? You may not be able to reveal too much, but just kind of what you're you're busy working on. Yeah, of course. So so right this second, like as of uh, this week and next week and the next few weeks, um, we're in post-production on our film that we wrote and directed called Haunt, which is um, a really scary Halloween-themed film um, that that we uh, we did. Eli Roth is one of the producers on it. And we're just in the edit room right now and trying to finish that film up. And then right after that, we jump into uh, Boogeyman, which is a Stephen King adaptation that we're doing. Um, we partnered with uh, the producers of Stranger Things uh, over at 21 Laps, who we've been uh, big fans of for a while now. And we've been trying to find the right project to work on together. And um, so, yeah, we set up this uh, Stephen King movie at uh, Fox, which we're really excited about. That is really exciting. And uh, do you know when, when is Haunt set to hit theaters? Do you know yet or is that still in the works? Yeah, we're, we're hoping it's either going to be this Halloween or next Halloween. I mean, by, by virtue of it being a Halloween film, it'd be really weird to release that like in February. So, I mean. so we're just trying to make either of those deadlines. <laughs> that, that makes perfect sense. Yeah. So cool. Well, I'm really excited to dive into your origin stories because I find it so fascinating that 
you both met each other at a young age and seemed to gravitate towards one another and, and worked on creative pursuits from a young age. So I don't want to fill in the story for you necessarily, but you both grew up in Iowa. Is that correct? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, we both grew up in the same kind of town, Bettendorf, Iowa. And um, I, as a kid, uh, was making a lot of movies, like oftentimes stop motion movies with, um, you know, like Star Wars action figures or G.I. Joes. And um, when I met Scott in, in sixth grade, I found out he was doing the same thing as a kid, um, making a lot of motion movies with his toys. And so we're like, let's pool our, all of our action figures together and make even bigger movies. And so that's kind of how our, um, our friendship started. And what's, what, what was kind of weird back then is we were really the only two guys at our school making movies. And flash forward now, like 20 years later, um, you know, we've gone back and there's so many kids making movies now. And it's so incredibly inspiring to see that atmosphere has just kind of like picked up velocity and, and really grown. But, um, you know, back then when we grew up, we felt really like outsiders. And in addition, Hollywood was 2000 miles away. So we felt so far removed from it, but we just had fun making movies. So we never at that point, I think, thought about it as a serious career. It just was really a, a passion for us that was built out of our, our friendship. That is so cool. And I, one thing I love, I think, about your story is that you didn't wait for permission to make something. You were just making it because it was your passion. I think sometimes it's backwards for a lot of folks. They love sure. to watch movies and enjoy movies, and they are just waiting for an invitation to be a part of that process. But sure. no, you yeah. started honing yeah. your craft from the get-go, almost from the womb. I mean, it's so... It's such an interesting story, I think. And and what do you think it's been about the two of you that has worked so well together, like your partnership? What is it that each of you sort of bring to the table that makes that partnership work so well over so many years? Well, I think first and foremost, we were friends before filmmakers. So we see eye to eye on many things outside of like, like pure cinema. Um, but having met each other when we were like 11 years old, we grew up watching the same movies and going to like the same movie theater on a Friday night and getting that audience experience that we always loved growing up from, from horror films or comedies or whatever it was. Um, and so that really formed a shared sense of cinema that we gravitated towards. And as we were making movies, we were like, oh, maybe we should make a movie like this or like that and just start kind of cribbing from influences as, as most people do earlier in their career. And I think um, having a friend that, that you're working with, especially at that young age, kind of encouraged us to, to, keep, to keep making movies and to finish movies. It kind of what you were saying, like, um, you know, sometimes people either sit around and wait for permission to make something or maybe they maybe they start making a, a short film but don't quite have the follow through to finish it. It um, it helped having kind of a, a, a friend and a collaborator and also a competitor in many ways um, out there doing it, too, because it, 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 it made it put pressure on you to kind of finish the work and try to do it at a higher, um, maybe a higher level of quality. I, I remember, you know, when we were kids, like, I'll, I'll never forget the first moment I saw Scott use like an over the shoulder camera angle, which is not, you know, it's not, not anything technically crazy, but like when you're young, like, it's like, oh, wow, like you can put the camera there and shoot it like that. You know what I mean? And that and, and encouraged me to, to take more risks with where camera placement and so forth. So, Anyways, that's a long way of saying like we 
having somebody else in the trenches with you kind of um, inspires slightly better work, hopefully. That's that's really amazing. And I can imagine that you probably haven't run across many folks in L.A. that have the same kind of experience and background as both of you do as a team. I know there are many writing teams um, and mm-hmm. people that just yeah. work really well together, but it just seems like almost a novel um, uh, origin story, if you will. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I can't say we know too many directing duos personally um, that we've come across. They're, they're certainly out there, and many, many have obviously been very successful. But um, we'd love to sit down and see what other people's, like, alchemy was in terms of growing up. Because for us, we can't really imagine doing it any other way. And that's that's from just also not just the creative, but from the business side of filmmaking, where there's so many ups and more, more downs than there are ups, let me clarify. And so you go through so many trials that... I think if I were just um, working solo, like I might be out of the business by now because I wouldn't have the wherewithal or, um, you know, the, the tenacity to push forward as I, as I do now working with Brian. So it's, it's something I feel very fortunate for having, having started that way early yeah. on. That's awesome. And I really appreciate that both of you are not only writers, but you also have that director's heart and you want to see the production really from the seedling of the idea to, you know, the final cuts in the editing room And I just, I can't wait to see the work that you're going to be coming out with soon. And of course, I have to say, I've seen A Quiet Place um, about five times. And uh, (laughs) I love it so much. And and, honestly, I saw it first uh, with a friend and I have three kids and they're typically, I'm pretty careful about what they watch. But I really loved, um, this may be jumping ahead a little bit, I really loved the importance that the children played in the movie. And I felt like it was something that they should see. And so I ended up taking my kids who are ages 10 and eight to the theater. And some people I think were like, what are you doing? But (laughs) it was a really, really, um, I just, it felt so organic, the story. I'm not usually a horror fan, but it just felt so organic. And of course I'm, uh, we certainly traveled a lot growing up, but, but many of the places that we ended up staying for weeks on end were in the Midwest. And so I don't know, something about it just felt so different and original and, um, I'm jumping ahead of myself here a little bit, but I can see those roots coming through. And I just, I just think it's so compelling. And I just love that you have such a a vision, not only in the writing, you know, the writing uh, portion of the storytelling, but also in the visual portion. All right. Anyways, Uh, enough about that. No, that's, that's, I just want to say like, um, that's, that's great that you brought your kids to it because the movie that we always wrote, um, you know, we had questions like, should this be an R rated movie? And we're like, no, this, the sweet spot for us is a movie that has, every single family dynamic it's the parents and it's the kids and by virtue of that the audience should also be a family dynamic as well and those like movies that brian and i grew up on when we were kids and probably way too young to see them um you know were were r-rated or they were pg-13 or it was jaws but there was some sort of human dynamic to it that um you know is relatable and that always became like the movies that we aspired to make and so i'm i'm very happy to hear that that you you know, open the doors for your kids to go see it. Yeah. And it's interesting what you were saying about how like the, the kids in the story have like an equal kind of part and part of the family. And, and that's one of those things that, um, and we've had other people kind of mention that, um, when reading the script, even in early days, and, um, it's not something we're super conscious of. I do think that there is a Midwest kind of, I don't know, it's like something about our 
upbringing or background that like it just kind of subconsciously worked its way into the story because it was not something we set out necessarily um, to put in there, but it but it seems to seems to be in there, which I think makes it ring so much more authentic. It didn't feel contrived; it felt very natural, and I don't know. I just really appreciated that, and I know oh, my oh, kids great. did Thank too. You. Awesome. Great. All right. Well, back to kind of your professional journeys. I, I also love the fact that um, not only did you grow up in Iowa, but you had a choice when it came time to attend, you know, university to probably head to L.A. or stay local. And you chose the local route in terms of at least staying within the state. Can you yeah. maybe talk a little bit about your experiences doing that and, and maybe how that's either set you up in a unique way for success in L.A. or how that's affected your journey? Of course. Yeah. I think certainly in retrospect, um, we wouldn't have done it any other way. And it certainly carved a path that worked for us. But, you know, as 18 year olds, it's a really hard decision because we were lured by, um, you know, the the big film schools and what those come with it. You know, the, the resources, the networks, just living in a big city coming from Iowa. Um, we were so, so close to going to Columbia um, in Chicago, which is a Incredible program. They have tons of resources that you get your hands on your first year of, of college, which seemed really attractive. But I think at the end of the day, we just had built up this um, community of collaborators in the Quad Cities, this, this pocket where we're from in, in Iowa. And we had actors and we had crew and we had our, our filmmaking um, hub that we just could rely on. And we felt, why not just stay in Iowa? keep making films while we're going to classes and not even like study filmmaking at, at University of Iowa, but just study communications and do more of a well-rounded education that may or may not influence the stories that we're telling. Um, and so that became our journey. And it was one that allowed us to make a few more like no budget feature films while we were in Iowa. And it, it prepped us in ways I think we didn't anticipate in terms of honing our screenwriting craft, learning more about the art of directing and every other hat that you wear in production. You know, it's funny, too, because one of the classes we took as communications majors was uh, this nonverbal communication class. And that, like, you can really trace the origin of A Quiet Place back to that moment in that class, because in that class we were learning so much about how, um, how people communicate without ever really saying anything and we kind of at that time were like wow someday it would be really cool to uh, come up with a story where there's really no dialogue and people are just having to communicate without communicating in some way that would be pure cinema and it would be like silent films and so on and so forth so that was always like a, a germ that was playing in our head and that just that's all to say that um, you know maybe being taking film classes I'm sure would be super insightful and whatever but like you can when you're creating art or, you know, you know, writing or directing or whatever it is um, that your passion is, uh, you pull from life. You pull from anything that you have access to. So in retrospect, it's kind of saying, like, wouldn't do it any other way. Really grateful for all the other things we did learn while yeah. we were there that, that had nothing to do with film. Absolutely. It probably made you a little more um, creative in your approach to forming relationships and yeah. yeah, I can imagine that, that your strategy had to be rock solid in order to keep things moving forward. Um, sort of alluding to the, the whole um, nonverbal communication piece, I can imagine writing a screenplay with very little dialogue <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> might have been a difficult challenge. Um, 
Can you talk a little bit about how you approach it? And especially when you're trying to get interest in it and maybe that alone yeah. was interesting enough. Um, and of course, just really painting a, a really visual picture with your words. I'd love to hear how you approached that and, and created such a winner. Yeah. So we, um, I mean, we initially were inspired by, um, the, the silent films of Buster Keaton and Charlie Chaplin and this incredible French filmmaker named Jacques Tati, who worked in, um, in cinema after like sound was already introduced. So his films weren't silent films. They were just these incredibly visual and gorgeous and, and cleverly plotted out films that told everything about a character without really having to say a word or use exposition. And so those movies were, were movies we were consuming while we were students at University of Iowa. And that inspired us to come up with some sort of idea. And, and we had this nascent idea of, oh, maybe it's something like Alien, but it's it, it operates by hearing. But that's all we really had for, for a little while. And we felt that that was just, it was just a gimmick. So there wasn't enough of an idea there yet. And then slowly we started combining other ideas that we had just thrown onto our note document where maybe it's about a family that can't communicate. And even if this, you know, this horrible event didn't happen, like they still would have communication problems. And we married those two ideas together and soon um, we had kind of the structure for what Quiet Place could be. But as you were saying, like writing a script without any dialogue is an incredibly hard challenge. And so we didn't even know what that script would look like. So the first step that we took was writing a 15 page proof of concept, which essentially that storyline. And um, I guess I'll, I'll try to avoid spoilers or maybe we can just go into spoilers. Sure, let's do spoilers. So that the 15 page story basically set up the family and set up the situation that they can't make a sound. It had like the monopoly scene in it. It had the pregnancy, it had the birth scene, and then it had the dad sacrifice at the end. So it was all the major beats of the film, but combined into 15 pages. And that uh, we took that script and delivered it to our closed circuit of um, friends and family that we usually show our, our scripts to for the first time. And they, they dug it. And that gave us the confidence to forge ahead and just write the feature-length version because, of that script. Because leading up to that, before we had those first 15 pages to kind of prove to ourselves that we could write something about dialogue, we had pitched the idea to a lot of um, you know executives that um, we had relationships with that wanted to work with us. We pitched it to close producing partners, um, you know, even probably, I want to say, maybe even our manager and agent. And it just like it always fell on deaf ears. Nobody, nobody thought it was a good idea for whatever reason. Nobody thought a quiet place was a good idea to make into a movie, and we just could not. And and really, like their lack of enthusiasm really scared us. And we were just like many times, like we we're just like maybe we should just put this thing in a drawer. So we were only we were kind of only working on it in between um, other you know writing jobs, and um, it wasn't until we had those fifteen pages that we thought okay, maybe this can be something and maybe other people will, will understand why this is potentially cool. And then, then um, you know, we, we went off and wrote the script um, over the course of several months, just culling together all those ideas that we had for a decade. And um, once we had the script and got that out to like our manager and our agent, like everybody started seeing what the movie could actually become. And our first stop with the script was going into um, Michael Bay's company, Platinum Dunes. And we sat down with uh, the producers there, Brad Fuller and Andrew Form, and we could see that they got the vision of what the, the film really could be. And they took that direction to Paramount and that 
kind of like paved the way for what, you know, essentially became the film. Absolutely. And I think you've both alluded to in past interviews about the pitching process and how (laughs) semi-uncomfortable it is because (laughs) it requires just, I'm sure, it feels like you have to put your salesman on probably. Yeah, Um, totally. And did you feel like it was a little easier for this project because it was so different and you felt so strongly about it or was it still kind of a rough process? No, I mean, it's always a, yeah, it, it, it's exactly what you said. It's like, it's a different, you know, writers, I don't know why we should ever be expected to be able to get in front of a room and perform like actors in front of a, a group of people. It's it, they're two different skill sets. And it's, it's a skill set we've had to learn just by the necessity of the business. But we, um we never, like, when we pitched the idea, it, it, it always kind of fell apart and we're not super, you know, that's not our skill set. but I think as soon as people saw the script itself, that actual writing, it, it was a lot easier. And, and just to clarify, like when we're, when we were pitching quiet place, it wasn't like some of our other formal pitches where it's like a 20 minute presentation. It's more like off the cuff, like, Hey, by the way, we have this idea. And sometimes like we just decide we're just going to write the, the script. We're going to spend several months just so we can avoid the process of putting together a pitch that's 20 minutes long like it's probably probably more work for us to put together a formal pitch than to write a full script and pitch and pitches require vision on the part of the person who's hearing the you know what i mean like they have to have to be able to see it so we don't even do that anymore like our, our next we have we're so excited about our next um cool original idea and we're just we just told our reps and everybody like, we're just going to go, we're writing it. We're not even, we're not going to pitch it. Like we have no interest in that. Like we're just going to put it on paper and maybe you'll like it. Maybe you won't, but that's what, how we would like to proceed with our next original idea. No, I think that's fantastic. And it's, I think it's very relatable too. I think we had, I don't know if you're familiar with Brenda Chapman, but she directed, uh, was the first director of the movie brave by Pixar and was yeah, a, totally. like, the of head of story on, Lion King and worked on Beauty and the Beast and she um, was talking about how she had to just start imitating one of her really outgoing colleagues because (laughs) she just couldn't she you know pitching is her least favorite thing but she's this brilliant storyteller it's it's an interesting um, concept to me that you know pitching is still such a thing as opposed to just let's just trust the people who have told really good stories because they probably understand (laughs) absolutely exactly the other the other bizarre thing about pitching is that when you pitch you're expected to kind of have all the story beats like kind of plotted out and Mm. and i'm like i don't even know how you do that as a writer (laughs) like we love to discover as we write and we love to let the characters tell us how they're feeling and yes. what they're thinking, what they want to do. And the, the most exciting writing happens when you get bored with your script, when you're writing your script and you're like, wow, I'm really bored. I'm, I'm following the rails of this outline that is not very interesting. What if we took a left turn instead of a right? So pitching to us is, is kind of a, a bizarre antiquated process. Yeah. I mean, if we had, you know, formally outlined quiet place early on it never would have resembled like the movie that people saw in theaters from the from the virtue of we found so many dead ends in the writing process where we had to backtrack and then start over and it took us to much more interesting places than what we probably would have come up with you know if we forced ourselves to come up with beginning middle well and like the nail the nail scene on the stairs um that nail was just something you know we didn't outline that we we put a nail on the stairs and told ourselves as writers that that will pay off at some point in the story and we don't know when just like the characters don't know when and so it was a part of like 
the writing process, like when you're writing in the moment and you've got the characters in the worst possible situation ever, <laughs> it's like, now they'll step on the nail, you know? And we didn't know when that was until we wrote it. So yes. that's, that's our process. That's, and that's amazing. It's like a living, breathing thing, and you just don't know. Totally. And that probably keeps it fresh and interesting for you. I think it just feels 100%. very contrived and overly planned if it's if it's the same way from start to finish that's brilliant and I'm, I'm not a writer so I'm not speaking from experience but <laughs> it just <laughs> seems to make sense to me <laughs> totally. um Absolutely. so as you as you've sort of been working now in Hollywood for a bit um I'd love of course being respectful because I'm I know you always have to be careful about speaking about anything that may feel negative but what are the challenges um, that you've faced when, you know, you've sold a story maybe and you're now working with a much bigger group of folks who are working to put the production together and, and sometimes there are going to be disagreements on the creative direction. Um, what is, what's been your, your method in terms of sort of working around those challenges and, and finding the best answer for, you know, for the story? Of course. Yeah. Um, so I, I think like from Brian and, and my experience, like when we were younger, like the hardest thing to really figure out as a skill set was how to take constructive criticism. Because the I think the gut reaction when when you're younger or just when you're starting out as an artist, like you're trying to incubate your own ideas. And so the last thing you want to hear is advice. But really, that's the most important thing that that you should be hearing. And so as Brian and I have um, gotten older and, and worked in, in the industry a little longer. Um, I think what we always try to approach with, with other producers, with other collaborators, is always keeping an open mind and surrounding yourself with people that are that are smarter than you or are challenging you with, with ideas that may not always like hit the mark, but they may inspire you to take a left turn where instead your, your instinct would take a right turn. So I think it just comes down to, um, you know, always taking notes and taking a moment to really digest what they mean. Um, oftentimes, you know, if we get notes, the note is really about the note behind the note. Like maybe the suggestion that somebody is making isn't right, but maybe the, um, the intention of what you know, what provoked that note is actually the thing you should be listening to. So that's something that we take to heart, whether it's, it's writing a script or handing in an edit of, of a movie and just always trying to keep an open mind. I think that's, that's an important thing, but always knowing when to stand your ground too. Like it's a, it's a very delicate balance. Yeah, that makes perfect sense. And um, th this isn't necessarily related, but it's something that I've been wondering about. Certainly you grew up in Iowa, which is very different from Southern California. <laughs> and now that you live it's sort of in a very busy area where it's probably difficult to just get away and get out in nature. Um, <laughs> have, has, it, has it been tricky for you to, to stay inspired and sort of stay original um, when surrounded by all this noise pollution and sort of cookie cutter, <laughs> cookie cutter I storytelling. <laughs> I, I love the question. It makes me miss home quite a bit um, <laughs> because there was something very inspiring about being in the Midwest and being away from it all. Um, what inspires me in LA is the kind of rich movie history and just being, just loving cinema so much. It's really fun. Like all the old movie houses. I love like driving down the um, freeway and seeing this is going to sound stupid, but like, I love seeing all the like advertisements for the upcoming movies. And I, I love being a part of a town that is excited about the medium. So that's inspiring. Uh, but beyond that, <laughs> beyond that, 
I don't know, Scott. What do you do for? I mean, I what what I always love is going to the ocean in terms of just finding finding solitude. Um, and it's it's a place like I always try to escape to, even if I only have like an hour to to get over there, because um, it reminds me of being back in Iowa and being surrounded by kind of you know this vast empty space. Um, but I also love like the Universal Studios backlot tour. Like when I first went there when I was nine years old, like that showed me, um, you know, kind of the facade of what Hollywood was. And so every time I go there now, even even today, um, it just, it reminds me of that feeling. And it's, it's always inspiring to have that connection to how I felt when I was nine years old. Uh, you know, we're right now we're kind of seeing the success that both of you are experiencing after years and years, really, of honing your craft and creating things. And so it's easy to just see that portion, that tip of the iceberg. Um, is there maybe a, a story or an anecdote or even just a, a string of a period of time that you'd like to share in terms of the struggle <laughs> and the hard stuff? Because sure. I know that you've been very open about it. It's not easy. It's really not. It it's really, it is a, it's a very challenging business because it's, um, it, it's fun. It's kind of like doing what you love for a living. And so there's very much a feeling of, of get in line. You know, there's many <laughs> other people who would like to do this. So you, you really do have to pay your dues and, and work hard and try to stand out. Um, one of our marquee kind of weeks that we always think about, there was this, this period of time where I think we were a couple years out of college and, um, we had, um, you know, we had been negotiating this um, really tiny deal to do a, a pilot for MTV, a pilot presentation, really low budget, but it was like, the, we were holding on to it. It was like the one kind of like piece of professional business we had in, on the horizon. And, and because of that, um, we were able to take a bunch of meetings with, um, with um, agencies and producers. And so there was this week where we had a meeting at CAA and ICM and Gersh and, and all these different agents who uh, sat us down and they were all, and we were again, a couple years out of college, pretty young still in our career. Um, and they sat us down and they were all like, you guys are going to be the next big thing and it's going to happen overnight and you won't believe it. Your head will spin and blah, 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 blah. Telling you everything that you would want to hear, you know, graduating college. Um, and uh, like five days later, they all passed on us. Every one of them said, nope, see you later. We're not repping you. Um, we had in that same week, there was like a producer who, um, you know, wrote us this kind of nasty email saying like he couldn't get through 10 pages of our script and like, good luck. And just like, I think we like in that same week, we like, exactly. We got like rejected from like a screenplay competition that week. It was like every bad thing that could possibly happen in terms of like, just like your dreams, just like evaporating in an instant happened that week. And it was kind of, um, it was a moment of like, Oh, we either, we either just got kicked out of Hollywood and we are definitely done forever, or we can try to learn from it, you know, and try to get better and, and, and take what we can out of that and, and roll up our sleeves and go back to work. Yeah. One, one movie moment I absolutely adore. And I feel like has, has kept us going is from uh, Cameron Crowe's Elizabeth town where, uh, there's a moment where um, Orlando Bloom's character like is a massive failure. He's lost like the company like a billion dollars. And Kirsten Dunst's character just says like, you just have to take like five minutes to wallow in the failure and then just forge ahead and keep on smiling and make them wonder why you're still smiling and why you're still around. And I think for us, like whether, you know, 
one failure is going to lead to another failure to another or whether one failure leads to a success. Like we just try to put the blinders on after encountering, you know, pitfalls and just know, yeah, that sucks, but maybe tomorrow, like something will happen. And it's just kind of that same, um, you know, same feeling we had as kids. Like we had no idea how to go from Iowa to LA, but we knew let's just keep making movies and, and try to improve like each step out the gate and see where it takes us. And that's still the same philosophy that we, we have today. One question I love to ask um, writers, and I look forward to hearing your answers to this, um, is what, in your opinion, separates um, a good story, you know, an okay story from a great story? Well, you know, for me, I love I love when a story can um, make me feel like that's something I've never seen before. Like, oh, wow, that, that you know, like that feels really fresh. Um, and I love I love a story that moves me and makes me laugh and makes me scared and makes me so it makes me feel everything. And I think um, I think an audience loves when they get something they didn't expect out of a film. So for, as a random example, I don't know why this movie is coming to my mind right now, but James Cameron's Terminator 2 is we show up and we know it's an action film. Like that's what we paid money to see, right? We, we paid money to see something that's a little frightening and a little and very entertaining and has a lot of action. But I don't think we expected to laugh so much. And I don't think think we expected to be moved by it and so i i think when when a story can really fire on all cylinders um and make you feel things that you didn't expect um it, it feels like uh there, there's nothing better than that and i would add to that like being able to relate to characters in the movies and that that doesn't mean that the character is a carbon copy of who you are as a human being but there's something that you relate to either emotionally or what they're going through as an experience um, you know, dating back to, to Hitchcock's films, which are, are huge inspirations to us, um, so many of his movies were about people caught up in terrible circumstances. They're just there at the wrong time. And so you got to see them kind of get wound up in this horrible situation. And in that respect, like you kind of see yourself there on screen. But, you know, even beyond that, you know, E.T., which is one of my favorite films of all time, that's not just a movie about uh, an alien befriending a kid. Like that's a movie about divorce and about a fractured family and how this, this alien is able to, you know, bring them together. And it's, it's such a beautiful metaphor wrapped up in like a candy coated shell that, uh, you know, I think is, is so incredibly um, touching for so many people that have gone through experiences like that or ever had like some sort of family dilemmas at home. I don't know. It's just always an interesting thing because I feel like so many of the movies are one-trick ponies that are currently coming out these days, and they're uh, they just feel sure. very predictable, and they only make you feel one thing. You know, oh, we're gonna just laugh our whole way through this, and um, or right. we're gonna be scared the whole way through. And so I love kind of that organic, well-rounded approach. It's it's fantastic. When you speak to folks, maybe maybe from you know Iowa, who are reaching out to you and like, hey, I want to get into the industry. What do I do? Um, I, you've probably covered a lot of those points really throughout this conversation, just in terms of keep making things and keep, you know, honing your craft. But is there anything unexpected that you've learned along the way, you know, a piece of wisdom that you've actually started to pass on to those who reach out for advice? Um, I think, uh, I think creating a, a community and finding other individuals who 
are at your level in your career and your art. So if you're at the beginning of your career, um, it, it's not it's not useful to get Leonardo DiCaprio on the phone, right? Like he's already making movies with Martin Scorsese and winning Oscars and so forth. Like you you want to find the, the the next Leonardo DiCaprio to be in your movie, and you want to find um, you know the next uh, Mike DeLuca to produce your film, and and those people might be assistants at a at a large company they might be um they might be waiters they might you know what i mean they might be at the same place that you are starting out and um, building that community and finding those collaborators is the i think the best way to actually improve your status in the business. yeah one of the one of the most fun things we we had happen um in the wake of quiet places opening weekend we went back to iowa um and did like a screening there with with all our family and friends and, and the community and at the end, yeah, we got many questions from from filmmakers uh, that were in high school or maybe in college. And they're like, how do we get to make movies? And we just had everybody <laughs> that wanted to make movies raise their hand. And we're like, look around you, like meet these people. Because some are actors, some are directors. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So so um, I think, yeah, as Brian's saying, that's one of the most important things. And then, you know, other things that we've kind of touched upon in this conversation is, know that you're going to encounter way more failure than you are success. And don't let that be a deterrent. Just understand that's part of the process. And that's part of the process, like beyond filmmaking, like that's part of life. I mean, like, Steven Spielberg can make a terrible movie and get horrible reviews. And you know what I mean? Like everyone, everyone can fail. Everyone can, um, you know, have a difficulty getting a movie made. It's just, uh, it's failure is a huge part of the process. What's a common misconception about what you do, maybe when you're speaking to folks from back home or even, you know, folks that live within Southern California? What is something that people assume about you as writers and directors that really isn't the case? Um, that it's constantly fun <laughs> and <laughs> that it pays you billions and billions of dollars. Um, I mean, it's and that's not to say it's not fun. It's just to say that it's. It, there are days where it is a where it is a job sometimes. So, and it's um you know you really have to dedicate yourself to it as well. It's not like you're going out to parties and just schmoozing the whole time, which Brian and I never ever ever do. Like it's it's a very solitary job. Um, there's you know only yourself that's really an advocate for you and and your own career. So it's a lot of self discipline, and I think that's. Something, you know, any any aspiring filmmaker should should be ready to encounter. Before we wrap this up, is there anything uh, that you didn't plug yet that you'd like to plug or maybe a particular uh, channel of social media that you prefer people follow you on? Anything along those lines? Um, on, as far as social media, we you can find us at Beck and Woods on uh, Instagram and Twitter. And um, and nothing to add other than thank you so much for speaking with us. And, um, and, and we really appreciate the terrific questions. Of course. Thanks, guys. This is